So we're going to dive into the passage, John chapter 5. So read with me the first uh, six verses. It says, Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? I want to stop there for just a minute and paint a picture of this, the geography there, the, the scenario, what it would have been like in that day. The first thing that I want to point out um, is that John seemed, it, it seemed appropriate to John to mention that Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. We find often Jesus going to Jerusalem during the different feasts, the Passover. Um, there's multiple feasts in, in, uh, in the Jewish culture that, that ultimately point to Jesus. And so Jesus was often very intentional to go to Jerusalem during those feasts to, to, point, to show that they pointed to him often. In this particular one, we don't know what festival or what feast he went up for, just that there was a feast going on. And so the implication of that is that Jerusalem, anytime there was a feast, what you would get is an influx of people from at least the surrounding areas that would come to Jerusalem for the feast. You'd get people, Jew and Gentile alike, that would come to celebrate the feast. So it was another way to say it's high tourist season in Jerusalem at this time. And Jesus chose to show up at that time. And it begs the question, why did Jesus, or why did the Father choose to send Jesus in during a festival? This is early on in his ministry, and, and this is my own thought on this, so take it with a grain of salt. But I think one of the reasons why he showed up at this time was that there was a little bit of anonymity in it. Jesus wasn't quite ready to fully unload everything on the 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 Pharisees, the Jews in Jerusalem who lived there. And so what a festival provided was some cover because there's a ton of people from out of town and there's just a lot of stuff happening. And he could just be in there and blend in with, with all the other people that were in town for the festival. So it provided some anonymity to Jesus. But I think there is something more important there in that these festivals would draw people from different backgrounds coming into Jerusalem to celebrate the festivals. There would be Gentiles that would come in for these festivals. And here, and I really believe that, that Jesus wanted to be there when those people were in town so that he could get the message out. They would go back to their villages, to their regions, having maybe seen a miracle of Jesus, having heard part of a sermon of Jesus they, they had witnessed a little bit, and it would set the stage later for when the disciples went out after the resurrection of Jesus to declare the gospel in all those places. Many of those people had already experienced something about Jesus in Jerusalem. He was strategic. And we actually see in, in, in modern-day church planning movements this same thing happening, this same idea of, of People coming to a central place, encountering Jesus, encountering the gospel, and then going back to where they're from. In fact, when, when we lived overseas, 
We, our team had the privilege of leading a guy to faith. He was a trash collector. He ended up leading uh, another family to faith who was from an unreached people group that was very resistant to the gospel. It led them to faith, began to disciple them, and then they, they went back to their home island of this unreached people group, and they led close to 20 families ultimately that came to faith and were baptized and began to believe in Jesus amongst this unreached people group. Well, then what happened is that persecution hit, and seven of those families had their homes burned down. And so they fled with the shirts, just the shirts on their back and their cell phones. Everybody has cell phones these days. So they, uh, they fled to another island way out off the coast. Out, and this, this little island was kind of in the shipping lanes out in this open sea. And they were living just day-to-day fishing for their provision. But they continued to share the gospel and be bold. And they began to lead people to faith on that island. Well, in studying scripture, they saw that... that that people went out, that the disciples went out two by two. Jesus sent them out two by two. So they started doing that. They would go and get work on boats that came through that little island. They'd get on a boat, get temporary work, and they'd share the gospel on the boat. Well, these boats would, from time to time, meet up in the open sea. Like once a week, they would do a market, an, an open market on, on the seas. So they would, all these boats, because they're in and out that area all the time, they, they knew at 9 a.m. on Monday morning, you show up at this GPS location, and there's a bunch of boats. They all tie their boats together, trade goods. If people need to go different places, they hop on different boats. These guys would go to those open markets on the sea, and they'd, they'd bounce around to different boats and share the gospel. And whoever was open, they would get on that boat and go with them. And we started having churches, house churches pop up on other islands because of what was happening on these open markets, open markets on the open sea. And, and this is what is happening here. Jesus is setting the stage for the, the, the gospel to go out to the nations, to these villages. And so there's people in for the festival. Wow, I spent a lot more time on that than I meant to. Um, the next thing I, wanna, I want you to note is that um, they're, they're at this pool and it says that there's a great multitude of people that are paralyzed, lame, and blind. So we got people with all kinds of very challenging disabilities that are gathered here in hope that something good can happen, that they, that they might be healed. And you have to understand that in biblical times, and often in many developing nations around the world, to have a disability like that is a, almost a death sentence. You are looked down upon. There's very little in the culture to help you, you're often just left to fend for yourself. Even living overseas, our kids grew up seeing people on the side of the road just covered in boils from head to toe, begging, trying to make ends meet, or people with no limbs, no hands, no legs, no arms, just on the side, fending for themselves. That's very normal in many parts of the world, and it certainly was normal in this time in Jewish culture. And often, the Jews believed that, it, that if, if somebody had a disability like that, it was because of some sin in their family. In fact, in John chapter 9, when, when Jesus is about to heal the blind man, they ask him, hey, why is this guy blind? Is it his own sin or, his, or, or the sin of his parents? And Jesus says, neither. He's blind so that in this moment, I can display my glory to you by healing him. And so we know that, that there was much shame around disability and so you got this whole multitude of people there 
who are left to fend for themselves, who are looked down upon, who, who bring shame by no action of their own on their families. Great pain, not only physically, but emotionally for these people. They're hopeless. And they're here at this pool of Bethesda, which if you notice in your Bible, there's a footnote. Many of the early manuscripts don't have this, this little footnote in there. It's believed that it was added later. And in the, in the footnote, let me read it to you. It says, um, And they waited for the moving of the waters. From time to time, an angel of the Lord would come down and stir the waters. The first one into the pool after each such disturbance would be cured of whatever di- disease he had. So the, at least the belief of the day was that an angel would come down, stir the waters, and the first person in gets healed. Whether that actually happened or not, if that was a normal thing, we don't know. The text is not clear if it, because this is not, many believe this wasn't part of the original manuscript. It's just a footnote. At least shows us what people believed about these pools. Maybe somebody did get healed there. Maybe it was just one person one time. We don't know. Or maybe it regularly happened. But what we do know is that these people saw that this is probably their only hope of being healed. And so they would show up day after day in mass, hoping to be the first one in. And this guy never, ever, ever made it in. The, the picture here is a little bit like what you might expect or what you've probably seen on the news. You know, when, when there's a major disaster, like the, the tsunami of 2003 in Haiti, they had those massive earthquakes and, and a, the place is devastated. And there's just not food for people and water. And then different governments come in with helicopters and drop a load of food and people just descend on it because their only hope and they're fighting for, for those provisions. That imagery that sometimes we see on the news in crisis, that's what's going on here. These people are fighting with each other to get in the water first because there's only one person when the water stirs that's going to get healed, so they believe. So it's a very desperate place. And Jesus walks into this scene and he decides to engage this one guy. Out of the multitude, he sees him in his suffering. And, and somehow Jesus knew that he had been suffering a long time. Whether somebody told him or the father told him, he knew that this guy had experienced great pain physically and emotionally. And he chooses to engage him. And so he asks him a question. But before I want to get to that question, I just want to, I just want to say that there are probably people in this room where though your situation may not look quite as desperate as this guy, you feel just like him. You feel like nobody sees you in your pain. You're all alone in what you're going through. And and though you sit in a crowd here today, you feel like you're all alone. And Jesus would want you to know that you are not alone and that he sees you. He sees you in your place of pain. He knows what you've been through. And he stands ready to help. He stands ready to help you today. And Jesus stood ready to help this guy. And so he says to this guy, do you want to be healed? Do you want to be well? It's a strange question. Now, Jesus doesn't ask dumb questions. It's not in his MO. In fact, Jesus doesn't even, he's not even asking a question because he wants to know the answer. He already knows. When Jesus asks questions, it's not so that he can know the answer. It's so that we have to search our hearts. So that we have to answer the question. So he asks him this kind of 
Weird question. Do you want to be healed? Of course he wants to be healed. He's here at the water. He comes every day. He's been showing up in desperation. Of course he wants to be healed. Often, though, Jesus' questions for us, they really cut to the core of our hearts. Let me ask you this. When's the last time Jesus asked you a question? Or better yet, when's the last time you asked Jesus if he had any questions for you? Or you heard him ask you a question? Because I believe he's asking questions often. It's whether we hear him asking. That's another thing altogether. When's the last time Jesus asked you a question? Seriously, think about it. Often we go through reading the Bible and all of our stuff and we say a lot, but we seldom do we stop to listen and say, Jesus, is there anything you want to ask me? What's on your heart? What do you want to say? So when's the last time you heard Jesus ask a question? If you don't know what that is, I would encourage you to start listening, start asking. Here's a great question. Put this in your notes if you're taking notes. Jesus, is there anything you want to ask me today? Is there anything you want to ask me? And see what he asks you. Well, Jesus asks him this question, do you want to be well? And, and the guy doesn't even answer his question. He doesn't say, yeah, of course I do. He immediately, you can tell he's just in his own zone, and he goes into what he's probably, it's probably his talking point every day with people. I have nobody to help me. I'm all alone. I can never get there, but it gets there before me. And he's, he's feeling a lot of uh, almost self-pity. He's, he's down on the world and himself. And, and he reveals his, his deep pain. I don't have anybody to help me. Presumably his family or somebody that knows him drops him off there every morning, and then he's left to just figure it out every day, all day, in hopes that he can get in the pool before anybody else. So he's feeling pretty alone, and that gets revealed. Um, I want to make a note about this guy, and I, I don't want to be too... I, uncharitable towards him. But there are some people in Scripture that get healed that there's some nobility to, like maybe they already even believe in Jesus and they call out in faith and Jesus says, it's by your faith that that you've been made well. There's blind Bartimaeus who's yelling from the side of the road, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He knows exactly who Jesus is, exactly what he can do for him. He doesn't care what anybody thinks. God loves that. Jesus loves that heals him, and calls out his faith. This guy, not so much. And we're about to see that, that he is not healed because he is this stellar human being that really is responding well to God. In fact, the very opposite. He's wholly unimpressive. Unless you think I'm being uncharitable, I will circle back around and pull us into his shoes pretty quickly. So, um, so this guy, uh, he gets healed. Jesus says, all right. Jesus doesn't take him to the water because he thinks that's the only way he's going to be healed. Doesn't do it this guy's way. He just says, get up and take your mat and walk. And the guy's healed. He gets up and walks. And that's it. Great. End of story. No, not end of story. Because the father had a specific set of interactions in store for Jesus this day. That's why he led him to this place. And so we want to get into those interactions so the guy, um, he's clearly not aware who Jesus is. Because when Jesus says, do you want to get well? The guy says, well, sir. He doesn't say rabbi or teacher. He doesn't acknowledge who Jesus is. It's a, a very ordinary, hey, yeah, mister, I don't, you know, I don't know 
who you are, but there's nobody here to help me get in the water. He's not clued into who Jesus is at all. Which is ironic, if you think about it. The very creator of the universe, the one that knit him together in his mother's womb, that knows every errant molecule in his body that's not functioning the way it ought to be, that can, with one word, speak those molecules into alignment and into functioning the way they are supposed to, is standing and talking to him, and he has no idea. Totally clueless. And the Jew, Jewish onlookers that we will talk about in a minute are the same. They have no idea who is speaking on this day to them. That's always ironic to me. You, you ever seen those like videos? Like I didn't look one up, but uh, you know, where they have like a some kind of superstar, where there's a sports star drive the Uber, and then somebody gets in there in the Uber, and it's you know Shaquille O'Neal driving them around, and, and they don't have any idea who he is. And when they realize that they've got Shaquille O'Neal driving them, they freak out, or you know those type of videos. There, there's a ton of them out there, but. That's, that's what's going on here. The creator of the universe is interacting with them, and they have no clue. They're fi- focused on everything but the very answer to their deepest needs. And so this guy gets healed. He heals him. Takes, it tells him to take up his mat and walk. He could have just told him to get up and walk, but he says, take your mat. And we're now going to see why he does that. Because Jesus where the father is setting up Jesus to pick a fight. And we want to show you what that fight is. All right, so continuing on in the second half of verse 9, it says, The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. Okay, Jesus, what's your deal with Sabbath? Like, you love to do things on the Sabbath to tick off the Jews. He does it over and over again. And it, it just strikes me that God is passionate about the Sabbath, and that we understand what it really is. And the Jews clearly did not get it. Because Jesus just heals this guy, and all they're concerned about, as we'll see here, is that the guy is carrying his mat. Let's, let's read on here in verse 9. So the day on which this took place was the Sabbath. And so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath, the law forbids you to carry your mat. So the guy just got healed. Did you miss that altogether? All they're worried about is the fact that after the man who had not walked in 38 years and stood up, picked up his mat and carried it on the Sabbath. What? That's crazy. But that's what they're upset about. That's all they care about. And so, but then this guy, um, I'm pretty sure if he could have a do-over of this day, he he would take it knowing what he knows now. But he replied, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. So he just throws Jesus under the bus. Hey, the man that healed me, he's the one that said it. Go talk to him. He just, don't blame me. His fault, not mine. The guy that just healed you, you're now blaming for carrying your mat on the Sabbath. So he's not willing to take any responsibility for carrying his mat. He throws Jesus under the bus. Whether that's his intention or not here, we don't know. But it's the first of several things that he does that, you, that clues you into the fact that Jesus didn't heal this guy because he had stellar faith. Jesus healed him because Jesus had compassion on him, not because of anything he had done good. In fact, Jesus goes on to show that he wasn't doing good. 
So let's continue on in this passage. So they asked him, who is this fellow and who told you to pick it up and walk? So now the Jews are still not acknowledging the miracle. So who is this fellow, not that healed you, but that told you to pick up your mat and walk? And the man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. So the guy gets healed. He doesn't even know who heals him. He's like not even clued in the very person that healed him from 38 years of misery. He doesn't even know who it is. Now, to his credit, Jesus chose to slip away amongst the crowd. And I think he did that for a very specific reason. I think Jesus knew that a fight was brewing among the Jews and he didn't want to do it there. He had more in mind for this man than just a physical healing. And so Jesus takes, takes off and it says in verse 14, later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, see, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. So Jesus, now that sounds kind of harsh, like, knock it off, buddy, quit sinning or something worse is going to happen to you. But the reality is Jesus was calling him to repentance. Physical healing was not his greatest need that day. His greatest need was spiritual healing. He was dead in his transgressions, and Jesus was inviting him to turn from your wickedness, follow me, and be saved. Stop sinning or something worse will happen. What's worse than being hopeless and not being able to walk for 38 years and just being left to fend for yourself. What's worse is being left to fend for yourself for all eternity without the grace of Jesus. And Jesus knew that. And that's what he was after that day, not just his physical healing. But Jesus had picked a fight. So we're going we're gonna to dive into that fight. Um, he picked a fight and then he took off and kind of let it brew for a little, little bit. When I was in high school... Um, my senior class was awesome. Uh, seniors or high schoolers, I would not recommend this. Don't go home and say, hey, the, the preacher said that um, I can do this. Don't do this. But I, for the sake of this story, I'll tell you what happened. My senior year, our, our class planned a food fight during lunch. And I may or may not have been involved in the early planning stages of said food fight, might have provided some inspirational ideas for it. But it was to go down not during my lunch period. It was going to be in the third lunch period. And so I knew this was happening. And, um, and so I, I made up an excuse to leave. Um, I had to go to the bathroom or something. And, and so I got out of class to go witness this food fight. And uh, knowing what was about to transpire, it was pretty entertaining to watch. You saw people going to the salad bar and piling it full of mustard and mayo and lettuce and, and uh, all kinds of stuff. And, and, and then people putting trash bags over them, put, making a hole for their arms and, and head. And I'm like, teachers, are you not picking up on, on what's about to transpire here? I mean, it is, it is clear it's about to go down and they are clueless. I am not, however, and so I'm, I'm out of range of projectile food. And I watch, and at 1256, as soon as the, the clock changes, it's an eruption of food in every direction. I mean, it was glorious. Don't do that, kids. Do not do that. However, it was amazing. And I just watched and went back to class, didn't have to answer for any of it. Jesus... Jesus sets something in motion here and then leaves. 
So they're arguing, they're getting riled up about this man who healed on the Sabbath and then told the guy to pick up his mat and walk with it on the Sabbath. How dare you? And they're angry about it. And so finally, after Jesus... Now what's interesting is, is Jesus actually pursues this man after the fact. He finds, not, not the man finding Jesus who healed him, he goes and finds this man in the temple to tell him the rest of the story, to share that he, essentially, that the guy needs to repent and, and change. And then, um, and then this guy, to complete his greatest hits on this day, leaves that moment, and it says the man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who made him well. Like, what? What are you doing? Like, these guys, you already know they're angry at Jesus. They want to persecute Jesus. And Jesus just told you to stop sinning. Quit it, buddy. Come on, you need to repent. Immediately he goes, finds the Jews. It was Jesus. He did it. Guy's not having a great day in the kingdom of God. But he met God's mercy that day, and I'm sure he's going to be in heaven. I'm sure he repented at some point. But this was not a fine hour for this guy in terms of his response. And so now it's on. Verse 16, so Jesus, because, so because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jews persecuted him. Jesus said to them, my father is always at work to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, the Jews tried all the harder to kill him, not only because he was breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So he has royally ticked off the Jews. Not just because he's, he's gone against their messed up notions of following the Sabbath, all these little rules that they've put in place that really have nothing to do with the heart of Sabbath. Not only does he offend that, now he's calling God his father and essentially saying, I am God. I'm equal with God. And they want to kill him. It's not just they're upset with him and they want to kill him. There is rage amongst these Jews. And Jesus puts the smack down on him. He's not, he's not afraid. He is not afraid. And so he goes on in the next number of verses really to, to lay out his authority. I'm one sent by the Father. I only do what I see the Father doing. And I've been sent by him to declare the truth. And he, he does just that. In fact, he, he, um, he shares the gospel in very very clear terms with these Jews and anybody else that's around to hear it. In verse 24 and 25, he says this, I tell you the truth, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. I tell you the truth, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. He is very clearly laying out that he, in his words, offer the hope of eternal life. The dead, not those already, just those buried in the ground, but all of you, all of you are dead. And if you hear my voice and respond, you'll have life. And that's what he's saying to, to these Jews. He is laying out the gospel in no uncertain terms. 
I really believe today in this service that there are, there's maybe somebody, maybe it's one person, maybe it's multiple people that you, you know, even as I'm talking now, that you're dead on the inside. You feel hopeless, you feel lost, you feel without, without hope. And even now as I'm sharing with you, you are hearing the voice of God. You're sensing God speaking to you. And that's the voice of the Lord inviting you into eternal life in him. And all you have to do is respond and call on the name of Jesus. Believe in him. And it says that you'll cross over from, li- from death into life. That's the gospel. So if that's you, before you leave this place, call out to his name. Because he wants you in his kingdom. He wants to make you alive. He wants to help you, not into the water, but he wants to say, get up, take your mat and walk. Live for the first time. Verse 37 through 40 is where this story begins to, begins to close. Actually, before I read that, I, I just want to ask you the question again. Do you hear him speaking? Do you hear his voice? Are you hearing his voice? Because we serve a God who speaks. Jesus is on the scene of our lives. He is here. He is with us. And he wants to speak to you. So wherever you are in this room, whether you're walking, you've been walking closely with the Lord all your life or or you've, you've never walked with him. Maybe somebody invited you to church here. You've never been to church before. God wants to speak to you. How amazing that is that the creator of the universe that that made everything that we see, made every system in our bodies, every intricate system in the universe wants to speak with us. That's a blow away. I mean, if you think about that, that's amazing. And yet we miss him. We miss him so often. In verse 37, it says this, Starting in verse 37. And the Father who sent me has himself testified concerning me. But you have never heard his voice nor seen his form, nor does his word dwell in you, for you do not believe the one he sent. You diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. He's talking to these Jews, of all people, the Jews and and the Pharisees, the scholars of the law, they should have recognized Jesus first because they had studied the scriptures. But their mistake was thinking that by studying the scriptures, somehow in their own good works of, boy, I study the scriptures and I pray and I follow all the rules, therefore God must receive me into his kingdom. That's why I'll be saved. They put their hope in their own works, and they miss Jesus completely. The Old Testament is full of Jesus. He is is walking all over the pages of the Old Testament, the prophecies, the stories. They all point to Jesus, and yet they missed him when he showed up, when he began to heal people. All they cared about was their law. All they cared about was, this guy seems like he just broke a rule. And they missed the healer, the very one that the scriptures were crying out and pointing towards. 
and they missed him. And how often is that us in, in church life? We can get busy doing church, going to services, going to life group, having our quiet time, whatever it may be. And, we, and, and in all of it, sometimes we can miss God. We go through the motions. And so maybe there's some in this room, you've just been going through the motions for a long time. You show up and you raise your hands and maybe you feel God's presence here and there, but you've stopped really listening to his voice. I have good news for you that he's still speaking. He wants to speak to you. As I was preparing this message late last night, feeling a little desperate, wondering, God, where do you want to go with this? What I was undone by is the fact that Jesus wanted to speak to me as I was opening the word of God. And he he just began to speak to me, not necessarily for this time, but just because he loved me, because he loves me and he's got things to say. And just listened to his voice and just was tender before him. It's been a busy season and, and we're all busy and it's easy to let our busyness lead us to stop listening to his voice. But in his great mercy, when I stopped and just listened, he was speaking. He had good things to say, encourage me. So if that's you, if you've not heard God's voice in a long t- time, I just want to tell you, he wants to speak to you. Spend some time in this. Just open this with some time on your hands and say, Holy Spirit, would you speak? Would you lead me? What do you want to say? What do you want to ask me? And he'll begin to move and to speak and to search your heart. Because it's what he does. Do you see Jesus in the midst of your life, walking in the ruins of whatever you're going through or the pain that you're in? Do you see Jesus there standing, offering the solution, offering words of life? Do you see him there? Because he's there. And maybe you're walking deeply with him and you know he's there, but we walk through a world that is just like that guy standing by the pool of Bethesda without hope, just trying anything to be healed, to have hope. And we carry this hope. We can, we can let them know that it's Jesus. So we're going to spend some time responding to the word of the Lord this morning. If you're trapped in pain, whether it's physical pain, spiritual pain, emotional pain, Jesus wants to meet with you today. I encourage you to come forward when our ministry team is up here and get prayed for. And if you are in here and you have never had a conversation with God, you've never heard his voice, listen, he's speaking to you today. And he wants, to, he wants you to meet him for the first time. He wants you to know that he loves you, that you don't have to be without hope anymore. If that's you, I would invite you to come and pray with us as well. And lastly, if, if maybe you've just gotten busy and you've stopped asking God to speak, you've stopped listening to his voice, you've stopped saying, Jesus, is there anything you want to ask me today? Is there anything you want to say about my day? Anything you want to tell me? What do you think of me, Jesus? If you've stopped asking those questions, I'd encourage you. Spend some time in the next moments asking those questions. Begin to ask him because he wants to speak. It's a total blow away. The God of the universe wants to speak to us. He wants to engage with us and how we take that for granted. So let's respond now. Would you go ahead and and stand with me as, as we're standing? Our 
want to invite our ministry team forward. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you that you are a God who speaks. I thank you that you, you see us. You see that person in the 17th row that feels totally alone. Like nobody sees them. Nobody cares. You see them today. And you know them. You know what they've been through. And I thank you that you stand with the question, do you want to be healed? Do you want to be made well? And for those in this room that fit that bill, Lord, would you draw them to yourself right now and bring healing and hope. Those that have never called out on you, may they call out on you this morning. Thank you, Jesus, that we are not left to heal ourselves and figure out how to be made well. But you come and you do it. You speak a word and we're made well. Would you come do that all over this room? And I pray over all of us that we would be a people that don't just study the scriptures diligently, hoping that our good works will pay off one day, that we would be a people that meet with you in your word and and come to listen and to say, Lord, what do you want to say? Make us a people that are tender to your voice. Thank you that you are a God who speaks. Lord, we love you. We bless your name.